All right, so let's look uh, again at verse 11 and 12. The first woman of faith mentioned here. The author says, By faith, Sarah herself also received strength to conceive seed. And she bore a child when she was past the age because she judged him faithful who had promised. And therefore, from one man and him as good as dead, man, if I talk that way, I'd get in trouble, (laughs) were born as many as the stars of the sky in multitude, innumerable as the sand which is by the seashore. Now, the historical narrative is actually found in Genesis chapter 18, And in that chapter, it's a very interesting chapter, Um, the Lord was accompanied by two angels and they come and they they visit Abraham just prior to destroying Sodom and Gomorrah. And as the Lord visited with Abraham, he told Abraham that he was going to enable Sarah to conceive and bear a son. And then, of course, as this conversation is going on, Sarah is behind them in the tent and she's eavesdropping. Who wouldn't? Who wouldn't? And when she heard what the Lord had promised, the text says that she laughed, not out loud, but to herself, to herself. Now, her initial reaction to being able to conceive was a natural one. Rather than responding with faith, she laughed in unbelief. Her, her natural reaction was to consider her and Abraham's age. She was 90 And he was a hundred. Okay, so she was interpreting this whole promise through that. But she was also considering the fact that she has now lived her whole life as barren. She's never had a child. And at this point, she's gone through menopause. And Abraham was, well, he was about as good as a eunuch. So she initially laughed. She laughed in unbelief, just as we might have. Right? just as we might have. And people have a tendency to respond with the natural man when it's an issue of the supernatural. Where faith is required, the natural mind is unbelieving. And we've been there, right? We've been there. And hopefully, we're growing out of that. And that's what we actually see in the story of Abraham and Sarah, is we see them starting at one point in their faith with stumbles and blunders and moving on to greater and greater faith. So in the text... Her initial reaction certainly wasn't her final. In the historical narrative, the Lord said to Abraham, why did Sarah laugh? Is anything too hard for the Lord? I will enable her to conceive. And then to herself again, Sarah denied that she laughed. So in the privacy of her mind, she's going to have this argument with the Lord. Okay, (laughs) But the Lord then responded to her. He says, no, but you did laugh. You did laugh. Argument was over at that point, okay? Now, this this interesting dialogue between Sarah and the Lord uh, wasn't simply intended to rebuke her for unbelief. It was intended to inspire faith. It was intended to, okay, to inspire it. The dialogue itself, as as I'm sure you've picked it up, it it was supernatural, wasn't it? It was supernatural. Sarah hadn't uttered a single word out loud, but the Lord discerned her thoughts and then responded to her accordingly. So put yourself in her shoes. It would be a little creepy, 
okay? It would be a little creepy. So would you be more convinced in the Lord's abilities or less convinced after having a conversation with him like that? Would you be more likely to trust him or less? I think so. I think so. It was apparently enough to gain Sarah's trust because our text says that she judged him faithful who had promised. She judged him faithful who was promised. She was strengthened in faith, it seems, by this supernatural conversation with the Lord. Strengthened. She must have concluded that if God has the ability to know my private thoughts, he's certainly capable of much more. And so she believed. So the Lord didn't meet with Abraham to discourage Sarah's faith, but to encourage it. She was strengthened, the text says. Now, if Sarah could receive strength in her circumstances, how might you receive strength from the Lord in yours? How might you? Now, as we study the scriptures, we do see God uh, always trying to bring faith along, do we not? Trying to inspire faith. Jesus came to do that. Isaiah the prophet informed us very clearly that he didn't come to snuff faith, but he came to fan it into a flame, came to revive it, to refresh it. And if God was doing that with Sarah, and his word says that that's a part of his character, then you as well can receive strength regardless of your circumstances, even if you're initially unbelieving as Sarah was. How many of you guys get discouraged when in your circumstances or an opportunity comes, you respond with unbelief and you think, you're such a great disappointment to the Lord, how could he ever offer me another opportunity? Well, get over yourself, okay? The Lord doesn't think the way you do, okay? He's trying to use that to beckon you along, to, to bring you along further, okay? That doesn't have to be your final response or reaction to the Lord. We all begin by responding with some level of unbelief. Some level, okay? God's not surprised. In Sarah's case, it demonstrates clearly that he was gracious. And instead of, you know, revoking the promise, instead of saying, it's too bad, had your chance, it's too late, you're gonna die barren. He didn't do that. He actually reaffirmed the promise to her with a, like a fatherly rebuke for her unbelief. But in all of that was meant to encourage her, to draw her in. So we affirm things even stronger. And I believe that's true for us as well because God wants us to trust him. And by the way, we have all the evidence we need that God's promise to Sarah stands because through Sarah, uh, and by Abraham of course, came a great multitude we have the nation of Israel. Now, the Jewish people are a tremendous reminder that God keeps his promises. Okay, if, you, uh, if you have never uh, studied the history of Israel from uh, AD 70 until the current time, it's something you need to do because their existence is a miracle. And being in the land of Israel today is a part of fulfilled prophecy, okay? No no other people group has survived outside of their country for more than a couple generations and maintained their culture, religion, and language. Israel was out for almost 2,000 years, and they're there, 
Okay, it's amazing. It's amazing. Yeah, it's good reasons to believe. Now, I think, as, as we've already said a little bit, it's, it's important to show or point out that Sarah grew in her faith. She wasn't always strong. Uh, she hadn't always judged the Lord as faithful. Okay? It's like any other relationship, I believe. Not, not exactly the same. But when you get to know someone uh, early on, you don't trust them with your deepest secrets unless you're one of those strange people that you just, everything comes out to everybody. But it's over time that you learn to trust people. Okay? It's over time. And uh, it's like when I got to know my elders, I got to know those around them. And I interviewed people. I wanted to know what they were like. I talked to believers and unbelievers because I wanted to know if I could trust them with the church that I've been given the privilege to pastor. Are they going to love them or are they going to fleece them? And uh, so it takes time. And the way that we do that with the Lord is we gain experience with him. We gain experience. Now, I know that there are many here today that you're new in the faith and you lack experience with the Lord. And that's, that's quite all right. Okay? The relationship has to start somewhere. But I want to encourage you to always stretch yourself, to always be stepping out in faith in new ways so that your faith is challenged. I know that we live in an an anxiety-free culture. And we don't want to stretch ourselves. We don't want to stress ourselves out. But that's quite to the contrary of Scripture. God wants you to live by faith. And as you read about the characters in the Bible, God is always pushing them to the next thing, to the next thing, forcing them to grow, forcing them to grow. So I would say put yourself in situations where you have to trust the Lord. Because in your routine, generally, you don't have to. It's your routine. You got it down. Well, get out of your routine. Okay? Do something a little abnormal, like sharing the gospel with unbelieving parents or friends. I encourage you to do that. It's a good experience. Okay? Some people went to proof for that very reason. And others serve in various capacities in the church in order to grow by faith. There are opportunities here to teach, to serve, to do things. Things that you don't normally do something outside of your normal context or comfort zone. I, I, I honestly believe that you should experiment with God's promises and the if-then statements of the Bible because I believe that God wants to be proven. I think he wants to show himself strong on our behalf. He loves to fulfill his promises to us. And so, but if you're going to experience many of those promises, you have to engage in them by faith. So do something crazy. Okay, go to Libya or something. Do something. You know, study the scriptures regarding marriage and family and just do what they say and see how God blesses it. That'd be radical, wouldn't it? You know, at your job, do, do everything entirely unto the Lord and see if he doesn't honor it. I know that he will, but some of you don't know that he will. So do something to find out, to, to discover and experience that God is faithful. So if you're gonna grow, you gotta gain experience and there's nothing that will help you do that than doing hard things. Do hard things, all right? Okay, we serve the Lord God. He ought to be trusted. Before we move on, uh, it's important to mention a couple things uh, about God's promises. And this one is God's promise to Sarah uh, that she would have a child. It's, 
this is not a promise to everyone. I know that some of those, uh, the Bible promise books, who said thank you, Jesus? <laughs> some of those Bible promise books uh, address the promises of God throughout the scriptures as if they apply to everyone. Okay, that's extremely misleading. It can lead to a lot of frustration and disappointment. Okay? The, this promise here was only to Sarah and Abraham. Okay, the story's not in the Bible uh, guaranteeing that all barren women will have children. Okay, the, the, the story is recorded to demonstrate the faith of those that have come before us and to demonstrate that God keeps his word and that he should always be trusted. Okay, Sarah's story is recorded to prove that in spite of our circumstances, we too receive strength when we trust the Lord. Okay? So you've heard of the name it and claim it uh, movement. The, the, my, I call it the blab it and grab it. Uh, you find some promise in scripture and uh, you falsely assume that it applies to you, but you claim it and then you kind of insist that God fulfill it for you. Okay, S- stay away from that stuff. Okay, the scriptures need to be honored in their context. All right, yep, they do. Make sure that promises apply to you let me say a couple more things here. Many of the promises of Scripture, uh, as we've said, only apply to a specific person, as it does with Sarah. Many promises in the Scriptures are covenant-specific. Not every promise made to the Old Covenant people apply to the New Covenant people. Not every promise to Israel is a promise to the church. Other promises are universal. The promise to Noah about never flooding the whole earth again, that's to all of us. Lewis County, maybe not, but... It's to everybody else, okay? It's a universal promise. So make sure that when you look at the promises of God that you interpret and you apply them, apply them correctly. Also make sure that what you're studying is actually a promise, okay? Many people study the Proverbs as promises when in fact what appears to be a promise is actually a generalization, okay? The Proverbs are, are pithy, short sayings, Okay, that's what they are. They're generally true, but not always true. Some of them are circumstantial. So be very careful when you study the scriptures and just willy-nilly call them whatever you want them to be. Be careful, right? If you take all the Proverbs to be promises, you'll not only be incorrect, but you're gonna be disappointed. Okay, you're gonna be disappointed. Yeah, we don't wanna make the scriptures say something they don't say and we don't want to apply them to something that they don't apply to. Amen? Okay. Just like your own words when you communicate to people. You ever have your children just interpret your words so crazy? And you're like, what? What? Yeah, be a pastor sometime. Oh, yeah. I've heard some doozies. Pastor, you said, <laughs> no, I didn't. I have the recording. Well, pastor, you meant, no, no, I didn't. No, I didn't. Okay. Anyway, the point that is addressed in Hebrews 11 is the faithfulness of God and that his people from the past have experienced that faithfulness. Okay, that's the point. Verse 13, the author says, These all died in faith, not having received the promises. Okay, now some of the promises were received, but the ones specific to here have not. But having seen them afar off, were assured of them, embraced them and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. 
Now, the, immediate, the people in the immediate context that the author's talking about is Abraham, Sarah, Isaac, and Jacob. And the promises in the context have to do with inheriting the land of Canaan, which is mentioned in verse 8, in verse 9, verse 14, and verse 16. And our verse here ends by saying that they were strangers and pilgrims in the earth. Now, just real quick, the word earth can mean a whole bunch of different things in the scriptures. Okay, so the context always has to interpret that word for you. The word can mean the whole earth, can mean planet earth, it can mean the dirt under your feet, or it can mean a country or land. Okay, here in the context, it's the land of Israel. It's the land of Israel. Now, some commentators insist that the promises refer only to Messiah, but it's unwarranted from the text. He's certainly connected to the promises, okay, but he's just not in the context. The previous context in verse 9 through 10 and the following context in 14 through 16 only allow one interpretation, okay, and that's the promises referring to the land of Canaan. These four individuals never inherited the land in their lifetime. They were given God's promises, and it applied to them, but it wasn't for them at that specific time. Okay? The text says that they saw the fulfillment of God's promise afar off. They understood that the fulfillment of those things was in the future. And so knowing that the promises were for the future, it says they, they, they embraced it and they were content to wait for it by living as pilgrims and foreigners in the land that was promised to them. We talked a little bit about that last week with Abraham. So with Abraham, these other three people, they were looking forward in faith. They had a, a forward-looking faith that helped them to endure the life, this life as it is as they look forward to the promise. Now here's another issue that has to be considered when you look at God's promises. It's not just a matter of who a promise applies to, it's an issue of when God has promised to fulfill it. How many guys want stuff right now? Typically, we're Westerners. We deserve it right now. Okay. Yeah. Well, that wasn't the way they were. They were looking forward and they were doing it patiently. And apparently, it seems that they understood that the fulfillment of God's promise was worth waiting for was worth waiting for. A friend of mine, he has no interest in going to Israel because he says it'll be so much more glorious when the king is there. They can have it as it is right now. I want to be there when the king's there. And I think that's probably the mindset of Abraham, Sarah, Isaac, and Jacob. They weren't disappointed by not inheriting the land at that time because when the Messiah reigns in and over the land, it's going to be so much better. Okay. Understand, his conquest of Canaan is going to be so much more thorough than Joshua and David's. Okay. There will be no remnants of evil left in the land to haunt his people. There will be no foreign invaders and the land will be filled with righteousness. There will be no unrighteousness there. Yeah. You see, during the days of Abraham, the land was filled with more than milk and honey. It was filled with Amorites. And the Amorites, uh, arguably, were among the most wicked people that have ever been on the earth. Okay? Yeah. And the Amorites were never fully removed from the land. 
And Israel has never fully enjoyed the promise of God concerning that land. Okay. But when Christ returns, he'll purge it and he'll replace it with righteousness. So I think the question is, when would you want to inherit the land in its current condition or when Christ is there? I mean, the answer is obvious. And I believe that Abraham, Sarah, Isaac, and Jacob came to that conclusion as they learned to trust the Lord over the course of their lifetime. It's always best to have it God's way and in God's time. Yep. You ever looked at uh, in hindsight and said, I'm glad that God didn't fulfill his promise then or he didn't answer my prayer about that. Pastor Chuck Smith said that when he was in Bible college, he'd always prayed that God would, uh, he wanted this one lady to be his wife. And then it never happened, but then 30 years later, he met her again and he was really thankful that God didn't do that to him. <laughs> it's God's way and God's time. It's always best. Verse 14, for those who say such things declare plainly that they seek a homeland. He's referring back to verse 13 where they said that these people confessed that they were just pilgrims and strangers in the land, the land of promise. And now the author says that those who talk that way are obviously seeking a homeland. Okay? They were content in waiting, but they weren't content waiting forever. They were seeking something beyond that. Okay? They weren't looking for Canaan in its current condition as their home, but as their future home when God would fulfill his promises to them. So they were confessing and they were declaring that their status as pilgrims and strangers in that place was only temporary. I'm just here for a while. Because they believed that God would deliver his promise and they wanted to be there for it. You guys, they wanted to be there for it. Remember, Jacob moved to Egypt to be with Joseph during the famine. Where did they bury Jacob? Not in Egypt. He said, take, take my carcass back to Canaan. What did Joseph say? And we'll talk about that more in the chapter here, but he said, make sure that my body doesn't stay here. So 400 years later, they took his mummy back to Israel and they buried it in the place of his inheritance. They wanted to be in that dirt, the dirt of Canaan. There was something about it. They wanted to be there. Okay. So again, their faith was looking forward to something with great confidence. Verse 15, and truly, if they had called to mind that country from which they had come out, they would have had opportunity to return. So he's saying, to be clear, the homeland they were looking forward to was not their native land that they had come from. They weren't thinking about returning to Mesopotamia. Okay, Abraham wasn't thinking, I want to go back to Ur. It's not what they were doing. Okay, he's, the author says, if that's what they were thinking about, they had a chance to return there, but they didn't. They died in faith. They considered this the homeland, just not at that time. Okay, they wanted to be there. Verse 16 but now they desire a better, that is a heavenly country. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. So by faith, they weren't going to settle for anything less than God's promise. Because everything currently for them and for us is broken by sin. And it's not to be compared with what's coming. Okay? The text says that they were anticipating a heavenly country. Now, Revelation actually teaches that Heaven and earth merge. Heaven and earth will merge. 
I'm excited for that. I'm excited for that. Now, by heaven, it doesn't mean that, that, you know, the stars and the moon, okay? But it's talking about God's dwelling place, his throne, his, his sanctuary is going to merge with the earth. Now, people typically think of the afterlife being spent in some, you know, heavenly realm where they'll be floating around in the clouds. That's so ridiculous. I hope you don't believe that, and then I just insulted you, but stop believing that, Okay? God has talked about what the eternal state is like. Revelation says that God will dwell with us on the earth in the new Jerusalem. In fact, it says that we will see the face of God. That's not something I'm willing to pass up. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Heaven and earth will merge. New heaven, new earth combined. I can't wait. Our text also says that because these people were looking forward to this in faith, that God is not ashamed to be called their God. It's a very interesting statement. Now, he makes that very clear in the Old Testament, doesn't he? Because when God was to be identified, what did he call himself? I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Their faith pleased God, and he wanted to be known as their God. I think it's like, much like a father who's proud of his son. God is proud of those who trust him. Okay? Faith is what pleases him. We talked about that a few weeks ago. Let's, holy cow. I got two minutes, and I got three verses. We better stop. Go ahead and stand up and we'll pray. We don't get to offer Isaac after all this Sunday. I gave Bethany too much time. All right, let's, let's pray. Well, Lord, I, I believe that for, for anyone that has the Spirit of God dwelling in them, that these examples of faith from your people, they inspire us. We, we want to be like them living by faith. We want to have that experience where when we need you, we can trust you and we, we, we receive the grace that is needed. Sarah receives strength. Lord, we desire that. And Lord, I know that in this room there are people of various degrees of experience with you. And, and the truth is all of us need to step forward in fresh faith. You are to be trusted with more. And so Lord, for those that are newer to the faith, I pray that, Lord, these stories, that your word would be open to them. And Lord, they would they would be inspired, they would trust you. And Lord, that you would begin to fill their life with experiences of faith so that your goodness and your grace and your strength is proven to them. And Lord, for those that are older in the faith, we got no excuse. We've seen your faithfulness, we've experienced it. There's no reason for us not to move further. So Lord, help us inspire our faithfulness. Help us to be encouraged. So Lord, we, we thank you and, and we love you. And, um, 
Yeah. In Jesus' name, amen.